Heavenly Father, it's um, uh, whenever we, we open Sunday school like this, we're mindful of the fact that um, you this is your assembly, and this is your doing. We, we may be small, um, we have a small church, but we have a big God. We thank you that we're not below your radar this morning, that you're not disinterested in us because it's just a tiny group, but in fact, um, you've chosen the weak things of the world to confound the wise, and uh, not many of us are wise, not many of us are uh, super wealthy and powerful billionaires, uh, or millionaires even, uh, <clears throat> in the eyes of the world, and yet you have chosen the likes of us to be the containers of your priceless treasure, this priceless message, and we're going to see that this morning, uh, I feel hopefully inadequate to convey what is in the text from the words of the Lord this morning, but uh, but you are able by your Holy Spirit. And we, uh, just like the burning bush, all we have to do is be available and, and let you be the fire. And so I pray that you would uh, do that this morning. Uh, pray for our little assembly here. We, we don't want to just be comfortable uh, and, and traditional. Uh, nothing wrong with traditions, but they can get in the way of, of, of new directions that you may want to be taking us. And so we, we want to be sensitive to that and, 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 uh, and pliable and to not lose our first love. Um, and to, to realize that you are uh, God who works in so many different ways. <clears throat> so this, this year, as we enter into this this year, we don't know what you have in store necessarily. Um, we know BBS is going to be coming up. Our planning is going to start in a few months and that kind of thing. Um, we have that sort of cycle of, of events that we do every year. But we we want to, again, uh, just commit ourselves in humility to your lordship and your direction. And uh, so, um, but we, we also uh, commit to your truth, uh, to lift it up here, but also uh, to obey it. And as as individuals and as a uh, as a congregation, so we pray your blessing. Mm -hmm. I pray for our country too, this morning. Think of our nation often, and uh, it just we need your grace. Pray for many churches in this land as they meet today, and around the world, wherever your word is open. I pray that you would speak through it to many hearts. That you would glorify your name today, even in here with us. In Jesus' name, Amen. <coughs> got this new cup holder up here and David was saying Wednesday when he was came into the office to show it show it off a little bit um, uh, he was saying I guess last Sunday I think I had some coffee up here Balancing, and I was—I wasn't even paying any attention to it. He was just waiting for that thing to spill in time. But uh, yeah, there's it's sort of an incline here. I try to remember to set it down here, but it's flat. But anyway, we got this little thing here. So. Well, that's not starting either. That's going to be anyway. Bouncing back. To that day, there's a not gassy guy. Yeah. You can miss it. Just a little bit. Your mind. The sensitivity is a little high. All right. Good morning. Good morning. See everybody here. Um, and if I have notes this morning, Jesus' final words to the world. Um, maybe today we'll finish this. Hopefully, there's just a lot in this text. And uh, does anybody need notes? No. Same notes we've had. If you, if you can, just, just yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, and we have one spare right here if we, if need be, later on. <clears throat> Chapter 12 of the Gospel of John is the closure of Jesus' public ministry. You may remember when 
we were going through chapter 11, I said to you on, on a number of occasions that I believe that the resurrection of Lazarus is the most uh, significant public sign that Jesus did, right? And we talked about that. You, you might argue, and I think effectively, that the most significant <coughs> sign of all that he did is his own resurrection, okay? There's so much going on there. I mean, it's one thing to stand outside a tomb, and, and you know, God can do that anyway, right? But your own resurrection. Uh, and, and Scripture tells us that both the Father and the Holy Spirit, of course, were part of that. The Father raised him from the dead. Paul says that the same Spirit uh, um, that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. He gives life to your mortal body. Um, which, by the way, means that the resurrection power for your body is already in your body. Think about that. That's pretty cool. But anyway, um, but the point is that the resurrection of Jesus was not a public sign. Even though he did tell the leaders when they asked for a sign, remember he says, no sign will be given to this evil and adulterous generation, but the sign of what? Jonah, right? So he did give them that sign, but he didn't get out of the tomb and go back to the temple. <clears throat> and say, ha ha, you lost, here I am, right? It was the post-resurrection appearances were only two believers, which is interesting. And, and it, seems, it seems to me, too, that I don't want to be dogmatic about this, but it seems to me that the significant appearances of Jesus to larger groups of people were when they were gathered together on Sunday. And it seems that, that, that for several of those Sundays up to his ascension, he was uh, teaching them uh, all about the prophecies in the Old Testament, just taking them through and teaching them all of those prophecies. That's why I think the Gospels are so permeated with those. With those, so when we read, for example, you know John John's text here, uh, "Fear not, uh, daughter of Zion, behold, your king's coming to you." And that probably came directly from the Lord Himself. Okay, as he's teaching them and taking them through the Old Testament scriptures and showing them that this has been God's plan all along, right? Because, again, keep in mind that the disciples here, they, the disciples and the other followers of Jesus, and he's accumulating more and more followers, right, by the way. It's not just his, his enemies, um, but he does have more than just the 12, okay, or soon to be the 11. Um, but all of these all of these people that are following him jewish people they got it right that he's the messiah what they missed was his purpose his mission right this 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 suffering sir we look back now and, and we we have so many years of the gospel that we look back and we read you know psalm 22 or isaiah 53 and and, and oh of course you know we know exactly what that means and but they didn't they didn't know that and, and there's so many and, and so you can wonder in the back of their mind it, you can imagine the back of their minds are wondering, how does this all fit in? Even, even in the early part of Acts, just to his ascension, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom? Right? Okay, we have this cross thing and, 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 and the resurrection out of the way. Is it coming now? Right? And so he, he has to teach them and, and so on. So anyway, point, the point I'm trying to make is that by the end of chapter 12, Jesus, it's not that Jesus doesn't have any public appearances. He's going to go to the cross. It's very public, okay? But as far as his ministry goes, as far as teaching the people and doing these, these public signs and everything, it's coming to an end. And there's a, there's a real sense of finality as we are reading, uh, especially the text that's in front of us now, okay? Um, and you, you'll pick up a same pattern in all the Gospels, too, if you pay careful attention. Good. Okay, so um, without any further ado, uh, you can read what's there on the on your notes. Uh, let's get into our outline, into our text this morning. Um, we are, we've gone through uh, the first two points, okay, which I've been looking at them like, wow, okay, but uh, maybe Rick's right, we're crawling through John. <laughs> We're, we're, we're walking. Right. We're we're learning. Learning. There's a lot here. There's yeah. a lot here today. So, right. so um, all right. So uh, verses 20 through 22. 
Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So those, so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat <clears throat> falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Uh, by the way, remember the Jews The Jews wanted eternal life, right? They, they wanted to be in the kingdom. Uh, that's, what, that's what it means, and they expected fully to be in the kingdom, and that's why Jesus, when he talks to Nicodemus, says, unless you're born again, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. Um, so they all thought they were on they were on board with this, but just that verse alone, or those two verses right there, where Jesus is is laying out, as we've been calling it, the way of the cross. This is God's way. Okay, this isn't the Jewish system on display here. This is this is actually a direct affront to the Jewish system, right? Which, if you think about it, really uh, feeds very well into your pride. Yes, right. Yes. And that's that's basically what religion does. It, it, uh, the, it, when you when you read chapter two of Romans, and Paul is laying out the case first in chapter one, he's talking about the hedonists, right? Those those he uses third person pronouns, right? Because he's really kind of aiming his comments at the Jews, and he knows how the Jews think. It's them versus us, right? Those Gentiles over there, and and and, and they're their homosexuality and their their adultery and, 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 and all of the disrespect for parents and disobedience and all of that and so forth. And Paul says, okay, yeah, that's evidence of sin in their lives. And in chapter two, he says, what about you? He goes from third person to third person plural to second person plural, you all, you Jews, right? And he talks to them. And you come away from that and he says effectively to them, you got some problems with hypocrisy. The sin in your life, Mr. Jew, Miss Jew, Miss Jew, is hypocrisy. And it manifests itself in two main sins. Self-righteousness and condemnation of others. And that's pride. That's pride talking. And so that's just a little tip for you. Because the Holy Spirit steps on my toes regularly about this. When I start finding myself, you know, Looking down my nose at somebody else or making making fun of them or whatever. you know what I mean? I mean. There's a place for truth, you know, stand up for truth and say that person's wrong or just to confront them in love or whatever. Um, but there's you know there's let's face it, there's a lot of times we talk about somebody or something and it's it's not really out of a desire <clears throat> to see them edified, right, or to see them repent. When that happens, that's your pride talk. Okay, so this system was prideful, but listen to what he's saying here. You got to die to that, right? You, this is the opposite. The way up with God is down. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and what He will lift you up in due time. You don't have to go around and say, "Look at me, look at my accomplishments." You don't have to be like. In fact, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talks about that, right? These, these, these showy robes that the really super religious people would do. They make their make their tassels long and their phylacteries that they would bind the scriptures, copies of portions of scripture on their forehead or on their hands. Some of the Orthodox Jews still do that. You'll see um, <laughs> but they'll still they'll still do that, right? <clears throat> they, they bind them and, and they make them all very showy, have these big prayer shawls and you know if you go to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem today, you still see that they're out there and they're Doing this, and they got you know this. It's a show, and he says, uh, "You have your reward." Right? But pray in secret. It doesn't mean don't pray in public. Jesus prayed in public. Uh, <clears throat> so did others as well. <clears throat> but it means don't be don't pray to be seen by people and put on that religious show. Why? Because it's pride again. The way up is down. Um, humble yourself 
Don't call attention to yourself. Let God do that in his time. Oh, will he do it? Well, let's keep reading, right? If anyone serves me, he must uh, follow me. And where I am, this is verse 26, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, what? The Father will honor, honor him. You don't have to go around and make sure everybody knows how much you're giving up for the Lord. He'll do that when the time is right. Um, I can't imagine anything. I was thinking about this, this, this preparing again for, for today. And um, we have a lot to say here about, we'll talk about this here in a minute, glory and honor. Those two are related together. And this whole text <clears throat> has a lot to say about glory. And you would think as a believer that, um, I mean, sometimes we we have this sort of opposite reaction. Okay, well, God God is the one of who's worthy of honor and glory and majesty, right? And, and I love that, that new song in Revelation, you know, uh, Thou art worthy, you know, to receive glory and honor and power and majesty and dominion and authority. And it's just like all of these, you know, adjectives and qualifiers and just, okay. And he is, right? Nobody would argue that point. What's amazing is that he shares that with us. And that would sound like blasphemy were it not in the scriptures. Because who are we? It, it, it's enough, it's enough that God, the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit, in, in eternity past, decided, you know what, we're, we're, going to, we're going to save these sinners. So as Paul says, one of the most overlooked verses in Romans is, is uh, 11.35, where he says, and God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. The purpose of of, of Redemption and, and the whole salvation plan, the end goal of this is that he can be glorified for his mercy and his grace. Okay? Without that, it would never be seen. We could, you know, the angels could sit around and he could put a proverbial whiteboard up and talk about it notionally, right? And, and, and in theory and everything, but there's nothing like really seeing it and really doing it. And, and that's, but it's, it's enough that, that he would. Um, that he would, uh, that the son would divest himself of the glory and the majesty and the comfort and the cleanliness of heaven, and and and, and then just you know take off his robes as God and as Lord and put on the robes of a servant and roll his sleeve up and reach in, you know, and hold his nose to save us. But he didn't do that. He he took off those robes, that privilege, if you will, and put on the robes of a servant and plunged headfirst into the ocean of sewage of our sin and immersed himself in life in this world. And, you know, I'm right now in another study, I'm going, we're going through uh, 18 and 19, the, the, the mistreatment of Jesus and the crucifixion and everything, and I'm studying that in detail. And it's just, I mean, the things that he went through physically... You know, he was hung naked on the cross. Yeah. I mean, you see all these pains, and, you know, they got, you know, and I think you should be respectful of it. But the truth is, it was, it's, it's disgusting, it's crass, it's bloody, it's, it's gross. But at, the, at that point of, of what seems like the greatest offense, like, who is this king hanging on the cross? Who does that, right? Let alone God. Um, <clears throat> At that point of lowest humility is the greatest glory. Okay, and that's what he's going to go on to say. If I am lifted up, I'm going to cast the God of this world down. It's an interesting switch. And it fooled Satan. It fooled us today. Many people miss that. But it would be enough for him, you know, to forgive us of our sins and bring us into glory, into heaven, and, 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 and we stand there in perfect right, but then to share his throne with you? To give for the for the Father to give you honor? Uh, yeah, well, it says that. It says that. 
Okay, I mean, we can't smudge that out. It's there. No smudge that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, come on, right? It's over the top. That's yeah. That's way over the top. Okay. That's a. Um, <clears throat> I think it's uh, is it uh, casting crowns that has a song. Uh, your love is extravagant. Yeah. Your love is lavish. Those words don't even come close enough, but we're, we're kind of getting, trying to get there, right? Amazing. What an amazing statement there, right there at the end of verse 26. Anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The act of honor is done for somebody who you are giving glory to. Those two concepts are, are interwoven, and, and the two concepts are here in our text, and we'll, we'll get to that here, and I'll, I'll bring us back to a little quick survey of that here in just a minute. Okay, but I want to read this to you. I wrote this some years ago, just in thinking about. <clears throat> I've always been <clears throat> intrigued by the scene in Revelation where the, the saints come and they cast their crowns down, and the, you know, at his feet. Uh, what what is that? And and the, then it struck me here, um, you know, that uh, let me, let me read this. <clears throat> and, I, and so I wrote this little this little thing here. It says I don't. The title is, I don't deserve this crown. Father, I don't mean to be disrespectful. I don't mean to question you. But I can't understand your love and why you're so good to me. Your word declares a time when the saints in heaven cast down their crowns at the pierced feet of the Lamb of God around the crystal sea. It was not, until, it was not clear until today why they do this thing. But now I see as I hold this crown, what have I but what you get? The blessing is not from me. Nothing in me is worthy of this blessing. Why are you giving me this crown? Everything good comes from you as a testing. And so at your feet I lay it down. You alone are worthy. For you, from you comes every good thing. And so this crown in my hand belongs alone to the Lord. <clears throat> So, just something to ponder. Um, let God lift you up in due time, right? And and uh, and He will do that. So the way of the cross, it looks like foolishness, doesn't it? You know, <laughs> what do you mean? I have to set aside. Who's going to look out for me if I'm, you know, applying what Paul says? Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but think about others ahead of yourself, right? Well, what about me? <laughs> you think maybe? The Father in heaven, the Father who knows how to give good gifts, right? And the Son who is your shepherd, you think maybe they might know how to take care of you? You think they might care? You think there's any detail they might miss? If you do, then you don't know them very well, right? All right, so that's the way of the cross. Um, so now let's keep reading. Um, this is finishing up our point two here on our outline. <clears throat> now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. We looked at that last time, right? <clears throat> and I said to you that this is um, now again the second time in, in, in as many chapters where as Larry pointed out, it's just a great point that he made. You know, Jesus is always, you read the Gospels, we're in Mark now too, you know, in the evenings, and, and uh, Jesus is so chill, right? He's just so, okay, this is part of the plan. I must needs go to Samaria. Okay, disciple of Samaria, right? And he's got, he's got these appointments, and he's doing this, he's doing the Father's It's not until we, we as, as the shadow of the cross is coming that he starts to, to exhibit this, Anxiousness, but also not just that, but as the nation is, as the as the accumulation of truth and evidence in the signs and his teaching and the evidence of his life. By the way, this is something we often we often overlook. We talk about his miracles, but he asked them at one point too, "Which of you accuses me of sin?" And he says that to his enemies. Which of you convicts me of sin? Well, that's a sign too, isn't it? It's not only perfect. And his enemies, if they could have, they would have. They, would have. they watched him, as I've said to you before, they watched him and listened to his words probably more carefully than his disciples. 
on that occasion because they wanted to trap him. They wanted to have some reason to discredit him, anything, to discredit him in public, uh, in the public eye. And they couldn't even come up with a witness sign in itself. All right, so, um, but he's, he's, he's moving through the Father's plan. He has peace, and, and that's our peace too, right? Um, the sovereignty of God doesn't just mean that he elected you from eternity past to save you at the right time and so forth, but it also is the foundation of your peace too, because it's, it, it, it means that this this concept that we have in our my my daughters and a lot of their friends use this this term random a lot. You know, well, that was so random. You know, we run into somebody. Um, we ran into Richard and Lois yesterday. <laughs> um, not literally, not physically, but we're walking through Main Street, Hendersonville. And, Lori was off yesterday and we were just having a day out doing stuff. Corn honks and like there, there they are in their car sitting there. <laughs> what they were crap. doing there. <laughs> anyway, so anyway, it's a talk to but my, my girls would say, well, it was so random, you know. Well, that, it's not random. You know, this concept of, of chaos or, or random, just just you know, you roll the dice and whatever comes up is just sort of total chance. Uh, Proverbs says that 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 um, uh, it, it talks about lots, but it's the same idea. Uh, the, the lot is cast in the lap, but every but its decision, but its every decision is from the Lord, right? So when when I win in Parcheesi, that's the Lord's will. Right? <laughs> My wife's not here today to, to hear that, receive that, but uh, anyway, she's very competitive. But um, but 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 there's peace in that sovereignty for us. You can rest in that, and Jesus exhibits that. But there are these times, and we saw this in chapter 11, as the mounting evidence is accumulating, and they still are not believing him, right? And we saw that in chapter 11, and he has this word, uh, the word here is troubled or stirred up, and it, it has more to do with than, than just emotion. It's, it's emotion that is agitated because the mind is agitated, the, the facts have been tabulated, and it's not looking good, so to speak. And so, and so there's this, there's this, um, the, this emotional reaction that comes with it. It's, it's, it's a total inward being, right? It's not just a, a feeling. It's, it's everything. The intellect and the emotions are involved in that. And so, when he says here, he's feeling the pressure of the, of the cross. And we're gonna. John doesn't dwell on that here, but this is effectively John's garden experience for Jesus, right? The other Gospels talk about him being in the garden and, 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 and crying out to his father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me, right? And the blood is, is mingling with his sweat and all of that. John doesn't touch on any of that. But here, John is letting us know that anxiety was already building up a day or two, a day and a half or two days before the garden, okay? And so we looked at that, you know, my soul is troubled. Um, my inward being, everything in me is, is starting to really feel it. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Thank God he didn't. Right? Amen. Amen. What strength of character Amen. to be able to do that. To look the sin of the world in the face and say, I'll, I'll drink that cup. When you knew that we would burn our backs off. And to weep over your enemies, that there are people who are into Satan. And this is another one of the seven of the sayings of the cross right now in that other study. And, and the first thing he says, Father, forgive them. Wow. I wouldn't be doing that. Bring it to them, right? You know, this is not just. They shouldn't. I, I don't deserve to be here. Since that same I got this thing called pride. <laughs> I have a very healthy dose of My Bible here says, and it kind of helps me to understand a little bit, it says, Jesus' contemplation of taking on the wrath of God for the sins of the world mm -hmm. on revulsion in the sinless Savior. Mm -hmm. I think like we have no idea mm -hmm. what the full wrath of God would be. 
Jesus way. And so I can see where that would literally cause just horror mm-hmm. and revulsion at the same time, just whole lack of sorrow. That's mm-hmm. just beating what was going to happen. I know it was our sins, but just that was So Jesus, here's another example of where Jesus is the example of his own teaching, right? Remember, he has said earlier in the other Gospels, don't fear man, right? Who after he has destroyed the body has nothing more he can do. I will teach you whom to fear. Fear him, rather, who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Jesus is exhibiting that. He's, he's practicing what he's preaching. And he's always our he's always our example. Every in every case, except for repentance of sin, which he didn't need to do, but even there he lays out a prayer, a model prayer that includes repentance, right? Forgive us our trespasses. Um, he, it's not a, we call it the Lord's Prayer. That's not the Lord's Prayer. We're going to see the Lord's Prayer in, in in chapter 17. That's the Lord's Prayer. It's the one he really prayed. It's a disciples' prayer. That's what I like to call it because he gave it to them as a model. He doesn't need to ask for forgiveness. But in every other case, he's always modeling for us what he's preaching, right? He's not just saying, okay, y'all need to do this, but I'm exempt. No, he's, he's, he's right there. And this is one of them where he's showing that fear, that proper fear of God and judgment, you know, not forbearing his own sin, but the sin of, of the world, right? The, the sins of, of those <clears throat> who will be redeemed. You know, here too, um, Eric was thinking about that. I don't, I don't really know that the cross was the thing that he was really very inspired, even though the Gospels present that. But if it wasn't the separation from the Father, the sin bearing, yes, the separation. You know, we we can get so entangled in what we can see. And the cross is something that is very visible, mm-hmm. but the but the separation is uh, I think that was the overbearing, and, and no one really, even unbelievers in this world today, has no idea what that is. Mm-hmm. The separation, you know, and God is going to say, "Depart from me, for I never knew you." That's going to be the separation, because everybody receives the rain like we did this morning. The sunshine, the night and the day, whether believers or unbelievers, but it's, it's that separation when all that's going to be took away from the unbeliever. Theologians call that common grace. Okay, that's exactly right. Um, and, and, and none of us, none of us really know in this life what it is to not have some portion of that grace of God. And that is, you know, we saw that in Romans, right? I mean, we asked that question again in chapter one. You, you read about all of this just, just disgusting sin that just, just and it, the whole chapter just collapses and it's crime. That's all you can call it. It's just crime, right? And 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 we asked, but not everybody goes there, right? Not everybody's the stark raving mad sexual uh, murderous maniac, right? Uh, you have some. Um, you know, you watch these shows of serial killers and extreme that some people can go to, but most thank God. Well, that's God's common grace. Whether unbelievers admit it or not, they 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 aren't you know the good sound person with a rational mind and not you know a raving lunatic on their own doing. That's God's grace. God's grace in their lives. It sure is. But yeah, you're right. Um, but but you know, <clears throat> the wrath of God. Is really what he's dreading here. You're exactly right. It's not, it's not the injustice at the hand of the Jews or the Romans or the mistreatment or even being nailed in such a painful way, uh, you know, after being scourged and everything on, on, on rough wood and so forth. All of that physical pain and the uh, mental and social abuse, all those things that we look at, really is not what he's dreading. You're right. It's when the Father's turn comes, the second three hours of the sixth that he's on the cross. Okay, um, what's the father's response? This is where we are now, okay? 
Uh, that's point three. The father answers Jesus. Great, very simple, very small statement there. This is uh, the latter half of verse 28 and verse 29. Then a voice, first let me start verse one. Finish up what Jesus says. Father, glorify your name, right? Done, period, end of quote. Then a voice comes from heaven in response. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Who do you think that is? <laughs> well, the crowd was confused. Look at the next verse. The crowd that stood there and heard it said, what? Sounds like thunder. Maybe some thunder off in the distance. <clears throat> Others said an angel has spoken to him. All right. Um, I, I've, I've pondered that, and I'm like, well, isn't it obvious what's going on here? But I, I don't think everybody had ears to understand what was being said, or that's true. You know, um, and people are distracted too. You know, and how many times have you know, I can use some funny examples even in our little group here, but but you know, a number of people see the same thing or hear the same thing, and, and everybody has a different what did he say? I missed that last word, you know, and somebody else will hear everything, right? Like the little telephone game we play back there or whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it's it's funny because you know, but the thing is, I think there's more going on here, and that is that um, I th I think. John doesn't draw attention to himself, but he does see those standing there. You know, was John one of those? Quite likely. I think he was there. And remember, this is the only gospel that tells us about the third time that the Father spoke audibly, okay, from heaven. And so um, I think John was there to hear that, and John could hear it and understood it and knew who it was. But he's just saying that, that not everybody, not everybody read it the same way. Right, and, and that's true with the with the gospel. I mean, it's just how God works, right? We've talked about that. That the, the unbelief in the gospel is not an intellectual problem. It's not a matter of just convincing somebody with the overwhelming evidence in favor of creation as opposed to evolution, or or the evidence of 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 sin in your life and your need for the Savior. And look at all these bad things you've done. Don't you feel bad about that? And isn't there a God? Yes, those those are the gospel is rational, and we we can only communicate it. That's the way he's done it in, in black and white, right? Through language and so forth. But unbelief in the gospel is not merely a matter of convincing somebody; it's a heart problem, and you can't overcome heart problems with with just mere concepts and mere words. And even the scriptures itself don't save alone. And that's the point that Jesus is making back in chapter 5, verse 39 and 40, where he says to that to these Jews, they, they made a living in the scriptures, right? They knew the scriptures. It was their job to know it. And he says, you search the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life, but these are they who speak of me. You won't come to me, that you may have life. You refuse to come. The scripture's here to point you to me, right? We'll talk about it here in a second because we're going to talk about that word draw and drag. It's interesting, folks. It's a really interesting thought, yep. Um, they studied the scriptures and missed the message. It's right. <laughs> missed the whole point. Accumulating knowledge, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. A voice from heaven says, I have glorified. Now, what's the Father say? So so what is, So Jesus is saying, you know, this, this cross is coming. The sin bearing is coming. I'm feeling the anxiety of that. My, my soul is stirred up and agitated. I'm tempted to say, no, thank you. But instead, what does he say? Father, glorify your name. And the Father answers and says, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. How did the Father glorify his name and how is he about to glorify his name? <clears throat> Through the one who's praying, right? Through the one who's praying. But, okay, so let's take our quick little survey here. Look at how many times it talks about glory and honor in this text. Back up for a minute. Um, to beginning here, verse 23. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man, what? To be glorified. 
And then he talks about this principle that he is going to, to live out, that the seed that dies and produces a harvest. And he says that's the same principle that he requires of all those who follow him, right? And then he says that person who does that, whether that's the son or those who are following him and going the same direction he is, all of those will be honored by the Father. So we have glory and then we have honor. And now he says, Father, glorify your name. And the Father says, I will glorify it and have glorified it again. Okay? So this whole text right here is all about the glory and the honor uh, that's due to God and that he will in turn give to believers who, who uh, follow the Lord and go the way of the cross as well. He will, he will share some of that glory with us, some of that honor. He will do it. Right? That's pretty amazing. But, go ahead. There again, it may not be on this earth. That's right. I mean, just like Jesus was not necessarily glorified among the people. And that's, and that's what we're looking for most of the time. Right. When we see something like that, we want tangible evidence here. That's right. But again, God's plan is long term. That's right. You know, he will, uh, he will give us glory and honor us by accepting us into his kingdom. You know, we're already in his kingdom, but that's something future will come to when we go when we go home. That's right. You know, and the same thing with Jesus. Yep. He, raised, he raised him from the dead. Hold that thought in your minds. It's going to be kind of hard because it'll be a little while before we get there. But when we get into the next chapters, he's going to expound on that. So he's going to say things like, where I'm going, you cannot come right now, but you will later. Okay. And well, why can't we go with you? Well, I'm going to prepare a place for you, right? And if I'm going to prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you to myself, where I am there, you may be also. And that's not just, oh, we're just hanging out with Jesus. That's that's there's glory in that, and there's going to be, and, and it's not that, and and you say, well, how can God share the glory? Because listen, that in itself brings glory to Him. It's like I said, it's it's His grace is big enough. Paul says in, in Romans again, seven, superabounds. Our God's grace is greater than our sin, right? That him. It superabounds is the is the Greek word um, in, in English. It superabounds beyond okay. But it's more than that. Because he's going to also not just, you know, you just get into heaven and know my sin's forgiven, okay, but he's gonna lavish grace on you and, and blessing on you and honor on you that goes way beyond what you deserve. You see, it's not just, okay, I have a negative account with God because of all my sin and he pays the sin debt now I'm at zero. There's a huge positive balance beyond that, if you will, a blessing that will take eternity to unpack. And that shows how big and magnanimous God's mercy and grace really are. And you will see it firsthand. You'll have a front row seat because you'll be the recipient of that. That's amazing. It's amazing. Give me chills to think about it. Um, but here's so this passage is saturated with the glory and the honor of God. Now notice the Son is giving glory and honor to the Father, and the Father says that He's going to to honor and glorify His name, but He's going to do it through His Son, right? And, and, and so there's this inter-Trinitarian idea of, of, of all of them giving glory and honor and directing attention to the other, right? That's love. Love does that. That is love in the Godhead. And that's love shared with us as well. We're like children who are brought into the couple. You know, the couple that gets married, they love each other, hopefully. Right? That's a shotgun name. But, um, but you, you have a... They love each other, and children are born into that loving, in an ideal situation, in that loving relationship, and are welcomed into the, the love is big enough to stretch around them, and to, there's a measure of, of acceptance, and, and even when you fail, right, there's, and God, gee, does God use that example? Hmm. Oh, yeah, children of God, family, right? Okay, all of these are illustrations of, of his love and his, his anyway, all right, so. Um, the, the crowd stood there, misunderstood it. Uh, that's uh, verse, that's point number three. Now let's move on 
Point number four. Jesus predicts his crucifixion. It starts with verse 30. <clears throat> Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. The first statement there, Jesus answered. So the, the crowd is, that people heard a noise, right? Some understood, some, okay, that's a voice. Well, maybe that's an angel. I think John and some others knew, oh, it's probably, just pregnant probably. You know? and this is, by the way, it's not the first time that John has heard that voice from heaven. He's heard that before, right? He knows he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was also quite likely there at the baptism. He was, a, he was himself a, a disciple of John the Baptist first before he was a disciple of Jesus, right? And so he was probably there at the baptism of Jesus and heard that too. Um, but John's heard that voice before. He knows what it is, but the crowd is, and, and so evidently the crowd is talking about this. What was this? And, and, and there's that confusion, and that's what John is telling us. You know, you know, in a condensed form in that verse, they're talking about it. And Jesus answers this, look, this, listen, this voice, and he calls it not thunder, but he says a voice, right? So, so it is a voice, but this voice came not for your sake, not for my sake, but for yours, right? Um, here's another sign, right? A, a third witness now from the Father, from God, to say this is my son, and I'm going to glorify myself in him. This confirmation from the Father. Go back to chapter 5, right? Where Jesus lays out all those other witnesses. In chapter 5, the Jewish leaders come and basically say, what authority do you have to do all this? Right? And, 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 and so he lays it out there with them about how the, he is working and the Father is working and how the Father is honoring the Son. And, and But you dishonor me and so you dishonor the one that sent me. And then he lays out the, all these witnesses. Remember that? He says, John the Baptist was a witness, the scriptures witness of me, i.e. Moses, okay? Uh, and then, but one of those witnesses that he lays out is the Father, okay? And here's the Father's witness. And so it's come for your benefit. Jesus doesn't need to hear that voice. He knows the Father's sent him. He knows he's accepted, okay? He knows, that, he knows how this is going to go. All right, but what I want to do now is, is take us um, through verse 31 and 32, okay? Um, and there's some phrases in here that are very important phrases. The first one is ruler of this world, okay? This is verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Who is this ruler of the world? Satan, okay? How do you know that? Uh, yeah, right. All right, so let's look at a few other times where this phrase occurs. Hope you're going to get your, you know, you don't uh, usually have us, have us flip around a lot because it can be distracting when you're turning. But um, if you would hold your finger there, let's go to chapter 14 and look at verse 30. Okay, chapter 14, verse 30. He says, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of the world, of this world, rather, of this world is coming. Okay? Um, and then, skip ahead a few pages to chapter 16, uh, verse 11. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Here's a phrase in John that we've not encountered till now. Okay? But we have encountered where Jesus has talked about Satan in these terms, although he's not used this phrase, still you might say the definition has been there. Okay, Even though this sort of summary phrase, the summary title for him has not been used, this definition is there. And the definition you can find back in chapter 8. I'll go the other way now, to the left, chapter 8, verse 44, and you remember this, where he's talking to 
to the Jews, right? And they, they kept insisting, first, we're sons of Abraham, and then they out the ante, no, we're sons of God, right? And he says in response, uh, verse 44, um, you are of your father who? The devil. And your will and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And when he lays out those sort of two main characteristics of the devil, that he is a murderer and a liar, he is not only saying that of the devil, but he's saying that of them too. He says, what he's effectively saying to them is this, you guys are lying and you're seeking to kill me, in fact, you read the verses earlier, he says, if you were your father of Abraham, you wouldn't be seeking to kill me. Right? Okay? So what he's saying is, the fact that you want to murder me shows who is really in control. The devil. Right? Now, keep in mind, because when we go back to our text now, chapter 12, when we, when we read that phrase, ruler of this world, if you're like me, you know, a casual reading of that, you tend to think, okay, well, Satan is the god of this world. He's the ruler of, 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 of and I tend to think of like the earth and, and the whole of humanity, sinful humanity. And that is true, okay? And it's not to say that isn't true. But the specific context here in which Jesus is speaking here, and particularly in those other two verses we looked at in 14 and 16, and we're going to see that in greater detail when we go through there, when he, when he talks about the world in the context of those chapters, okay, what he's referring to is this Jewish system. Because remember the word world, uh, in English we think of, you know, world like planet, right? We kind of tend to think that way. But it's actually the word uh, cosmos, okay, which is, uh, in Greek, which is just to say simply an ordered system. It's just, it's, it's just bringing order to something. Okay, it's an ordered system. So I like a lot of times in my own mind to kind of keep it straight. I use the word system instead of world. So you could say the ruler of this system instead of the ruler of the world. Okay, and I think that comes closer to helping us understand what is really being said here. Okay, so let's read it that way in verse 31. He says here, now, now is the judgment of this system. Okay. Now will the ruler of this system be cast down or cast out? Is what it says in the ESV, uh, and that is really um, uh, what we want to look at next. Okay, that that word "cast out" here uh, it, in the Greek it means it means to eject, to drive out, expel, send away, or you could I like to translate it better, cast down. It's to it's the idea of overthrowing. And authority. You hear that? So you have this ruler, this, this one who is in charge of this system that's about to, to, to treat Jesus so unjustly and put him on the cross and all of that. And the one who's really behind it all, you might say the man behind the curtain, as we said in chapter 8, right? Uh, the one behind the curtain of that system is not who they thought it was, right? And, and, and so he, the one who's behind that is about to be overthrown. He's about to be cast out of that role and thrown down, okay? And so I love this contrast here. What, what Jesus is saying is, look, he's about to be cast down and I'm about to be lifted up. It's not, but like Larry said, we're so cued in on what we can see, what our five senses are tuned to, it looks like the opposite. It looks like Satan has won, and the world system has won, and, and maybe the Romans and the Jews and their combined force when they came with 200-plus trained soldiers and guards to arrest Jesus in the garden, that he was just overwhelmed by that force and just swept up in that, and, you know, and just carried along by circumstances. It may look that way, but what Jesus is saying here is actually it's the opposite. God is about to receive the most glory at the time when he looks the most foolish. And isn't that what Paul says in in 1 Corinthians, right? That God has chosen the weak things, the foolish things, to confound the wise, right? 
and, and, and so God is in the business of bringing glory to himself, but not the way you want it to, or the way that you're expecting him to. And that, that in itself brings glory to him, right? And by the way, it also shows that this cannot be of human origin, because humans don't create a God who does that. We don't create a God who does that. And then calls us to lay aside our pride and follow him in the same way. So this, this, this God, this ruler of this evil system is about to be overthrown and cast out. He's about to be literally replaced with the Son. Well, you, you know, this, there's so much to be said about all this. Um, that word, that little phrase, cast out, let me just give you this real quick. Um, in chapter 6, verse 37, he says, uh, we, we read about this phrase again, cast out. Okay, same phrase. But this time he says, uh, all who come to me, I will not cast out. I'm not going to overthrow you. I'm not going to reject you or, or, or push you out. Okay? And then in chapter 9, verses 34 and 35, it says, they cast him out of the synagogue. Okay, They cast him out. It's what it literally says, but it's implied. The context is the synagogue. It's talking about the man who was um, blind from birth, right? And, and they, they cast him out. They pushed him out of the synagogue. He's ostracized. He can't come back, right? And, and so um, those are other phrases. So putting all this together, what he is, what he is saying is the ruler of this world, this, this authority, this one who is controlling all the circumstances in this system is about to be overthrown and something else is going to replace it, okay? Uh, I, I'm going to replace it. I'm going to be lifted up and I will draw this. We haven't gotten there yet, but that's verse 32. Draw all people to myself. Now, what's the context of that? What, what led up to this, right? Remember, those Greeks have come, right? Those proselytes, they've come and they've said, we want to see Jesus. The Father and the Spirit are already drawing Gentiles to him. And, 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 and this is a precursor, a taste of what is going to happen. He's going to overthrow this Jewish system, and in its place is going to come the church. See that? Um, one other thing I want to mention to you is it still looks today back to that problem of of our five senses. Okay? On a temporal level, it still looks like the God of this, the ruler of this system. world, this system is still in charge. Doesn't it? And it looks like his people, the church, are constantly fighting for oxygen. You know, we're, we're always... We're always struggling or, or just never quite seem to have enough money or resources or prestige or power or whatever to, to get the job done. And, and if we start to, you know, if, if you know anything about history or even contemporary examples, when you start getting enough, uh, enough of this world's approval and goods and, you know, the, build is, the building is looking really good and the campus is beautiful and, and the pews are packed and people are, the church is rocking, you know, and. Uh, what happens? We tend to lose our first love, right? We tend to become like that Laodicean church, where we are rich in the world's goods, but we've lost sight of who really matters and what matters. I just had a question about the, so if it's referring to the Jewish system, what about the Gentiles? Because I always thought in terms when it talks about the, being the ruler of the world, it's talking about the ruler of deception and sin, and you know that, which includes the Jewish people, Jewish system, and the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. So is it just it's it's in this part specifically? It's talking about the Jewish system. I think so. Okay. I think so. Yes. Okay. Specifically here, because you know after the cross, it wasn't like Jesus just came. That's why the disciples, I think, were similarly confused. They're like, "Well, Lord, at this time are you?" Gonna, that was post-resurrection when they're still saying that. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? You said that God was going to be kicked out. But in 70 AD, it, you know, it's when it all physically came down. Okay, But that system was judged and destroyed. It wasn't just our sin that was judged on the cross. The system and the ruler behind it was also judged on the cross. Okay? So when we refer to it now, we refer to the ruler of deception and sin as a world of sinners. That's right. <laughs> right? right. And there's going to come one day a bigger time when he will return 
and then he will establish his kingdom materially, physically, and you can see it, you know, and, and, and people people will be able to do that. But now watch this too, because a similar question in my mind, well, well, what exactly, remember Jesus made this interesting statement in the other gospels where he says, the kingdom of God doesn't come physically, right, like that, but it, it, people are going to say, well, the kingdom's over here, you know, or it's over there. He says, it's not the case. The kingdom of God is where? In you. Think about this. The, the one who is a king with no subjects is no king at all. A kingdom is not, first and foremost, a place. We, we tend to think that way. We tend very much, that's why I think we get confused, because we have to unwind the way we normally think, okay? Where, where you know, we think of a kingdom and we think of geopolitical borders, you know, the United Kingdom, okay? And, and here's the border, and I'm, I'm, I've got my passport from where I'm coming from, and I'm, I've got a visa to come and visit this kingdom, right? But the fact is that when, when, the, when the Word of God is talking about the kingdom, what it's talking about is not a physical place so much as it is a loyalty in your heart. It's, mm. it's the subjects who, who claim Jesus. That's what Jesus as Lord means. He's my king. He's my, he's my, uh, he's my kingdom, really, right? I, I, I'm part of this kingdom not because of where I am, but because of, of who I follow and whose allegiance I, uh, who I give my allegiance to. Does that make sense? Um, and so Paul uses that illustration of we are ambassadors, right? Second, Second uh, Corinthians five, we are ambassadors as though God were speaking through us, be reconciled to God, right? Well, so you're an ambassador, and we understand that because an ambassador is still a citizen of wherever they're sent from, right? So if you if you are an ambassador on behalf of the United States, you can be sent to. We don't have an embassy there, but let's pretend you did. We can just be sent to the most extreme enemy of ours, say North Korea, okay? You're still an American there. Even though you are in that environment, surrounded by people whose allegiance is elsewhere, your allegiance is still, you see that? And that's and so that's really what the kingdom of God is all about. It's, it's, and so that's what, and, and to answer your question about Gentiles, back in chapter 10, where he says, I am the good shepherd, he says, I have sheep who are not of this fold, them also I must bring. So the two folds in chapter 10 are those who are part of this Jewish system, that's one, that he's calling them out, and those sheep who hear his voice come out and follow him and leave that system. He's calling some of the Jews to come out of that system. And he says, oh, I also have these Gentiles in the other system, this other fold, that them also I must bring. And there will be what? One flock and one shepherd. That's, that's the idea. Okay? Yeah. One day it will be physical. One day our faith will be sight. But now it's not. So don't get discouraged. You know, God is, so Jesus so. said, I might build my church. No, he didn't say that. Oh, no. I will. He'll get it. He'll get it. Again, rest in God's sovereignty. Let him, let God be God. It may not be, it make sense to you. Uh, it certainly doesn't to me. They're kind of like, sure seems like Satan's still in charge here. <coughs> But he is, he's been judged at the cross. He's losing citizens. People are, are both Jew and Gentile, are, are leaving the system. That, Jesus is the, is the true exit strategy. Remember that, again, chapter 10, I am the door, right? A door is not just an entrance, but it's also an exit. You're leaving one thing and entering something else. All right, let's, there's, like I said, there's a lot here. I'm sorry we didn't. Get all this done, but we'll, we'll keep moving. Father, this, these words at first glance seem to be so. Uh, I mean, there's truth here, but when we start to really dig, um, it doesn't take long to, to discover more, more truths and how it's all connected. And we see a beautiful picture here of what you are doing and of your heart, Father, in the face of Jesus. And I thank you for that. I pray that you will continue to bring, may the Lord's 
prayer here be ours as well. Glorify your name. And may you do that through us today, here, now. Even as we are ambassadors for you in this system that's still run by this, by the devil, uh, the, the ruler of this system that we live in today. Um, but we know that he is his judge, and we know that he is uh, his time is limited, and we know that he is, is as Luther said, he's your devil. Um, you're in charge of him, and, you, and he does, doesn't go any further than you allow him to. And so we thank you that, that ultimately you are in charge. And as we read in Revelation, one day, at the, time, the right time, that this one, the lamb who was slain, the lion of Judah, will come and take the title deed of the earth, and the timing will be right for him to start taking back uh, this physical world and the human systems of government and, and so forth. Until that day, help us to be faithful. Help us to be those sheep who hear your voice and follow you um, uh, in the way of the cross, knowing that in your time, you will bring honor and glory to the Son and to those who follow. In Jesus' name. Amen.